0: Thank you that uh, you are the one that gives us the seasons, and uh, we're in a new season here. Everything's uh, budding and blooming, and and, uh, we're fighting off allergies, but that's just the time of the year, and we're grateful to be alive, and we're grateful to know you. You oversee the seasons uh, of each year, and you also oversee the seasons of our lives, and we've got guys here that uh, are in different seasons of life, and they go by so quickly. We're, we're all uh, coming from different places. Some of us are just getting started in life, and some of us are kind of, uh, you know, in our 30s and 40s and hitting that midlife stuff. And then some of us are on the other side, we're in our 50s, and that's hard to believe, or 60 or 70. Uh, I'm thinking of what Moses said, uh, as for the days of our lives, they contain 70, or if due to strength, 80 years. Um, and their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone, and we fly away. So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. And that's really what we're after, Lord. We, we need your wisdom. We need your wisdom to interpret where we are in life. We need your wisdom to interpret our circumstances. Uh, We need wisdom to make good choices, good ones, not mediocre ones, good ones. Wisdom is so valuable. It goes such a long way. We sure don't get it listening to the radio. We sure don't get it turning on the television. But we get it from you and we get it from your word. And how desperately we need wisdom because we live in a culture that is full of uh, lies and half-truths and propaganda. We live in a culture that basically takes what is good and they call good, they call it bad. And if it's bad, they call it good. That's why we need to hear from you, and that's why we need your wisdom to navigate this uh, path that we are on. So again, tonight, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the practicality of your word. So many people are quick to stand up and say, you know, the Lord spoke to me. (coughs) Well, we're going to be able to say that when we walk out of here, because we opened our Bibles. The Lord spoke to us. Uh, you gave us that Bible for a reason. Uh, that, that is your word to us. And we don't need any other word. We just need that word. So we ask your spirit to oversee us tonight. We ask that he would instruct us. We ask that if there are uh, obstacles that are in our hearts or in our minds to receiving truth, that you would be so gracious as to remove those from us. Where there is blindness, where there are blind spots, would you work in those blind spots for us? We can't do that. Only you can do it. Uh, We would say with the psalmist, as we start to study tonight, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. And we would pray these things in Jesus' name amen well up until now we've been taking just snippets out of the first chapter of james um, we've been in james now for four years <laughs> although we just started in january we've been going real slow uh, tonight uh... we're really we're really picking up speed From here on out, we're going to deal with James, not in uh, snippets. We're going to deal with it in chunks. That's how we're going to do it. Um, But on our way to James tonight, we're going to stop off in Exodus chapter 32. And if you were raised in Sunday school, this uh, circumstance that's described in Exodus would be familiar to you. If you weren't raised in Sunday school, but if you saw the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, uh, that's fairly close. Uh, You know, Hollywood always takes a little bit of license, but um, uh, what I'm thinking about is the the whole event where God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. Now, the Ten Commandments are outlined for us in um, Exodus chapter 20, but when you get into 31 and 32, we... We we pull back and we see the events that were going on as Moses was on the mountain and as God was giving him those Ten Commandments which became the basis of Judeo-Christian history and Judeo-Christian civilization. And um, it it was really bedrock stuff. It was really foundational stuff. Uh, It's the non-negotiables that God has given to us Um, so that we can build our lives and we can build our families and we can build our nations. Um, While Moses, interestingly enough, is on the mount, as he is on Mount Sinai and communing, communing with God, and just as it is coming to an end, the Lord basically says to him, you need to get back down there because things are out of control. And the reason that things are out of control is that Moses had left his brother, Uh, in charge, his brother Aaron, and it was under Aaron's watch that some really, really bad things happened. Um, What happens is, and, and, and it's really somewhat amazing when you look at the context, what happens while Moses is up on the mountain and while he is communing with God and God is giving him these commandments... As that is going on the people under the leadership of Aaron are embarking on absolute anarchy and chaos and insanity and building another God because they think they need a God that they can follow now the reason that is such nonsense is in the past weeks what has happened is after 430 years of slavery God has set them free. And miraculously and supernaturally showed his power and showed his goodness and showed his graciousness. And the plagues came upon Egypt, but they didn't come upon uh, the subdivision known as Goshen, where the Jews lived. So when there was the plague of, uh, of locusts, the locusts were in Egypt but right on the borderline of Plano and Frisco. Let's say Plano was Egypt, and let's say Frisco was Goshen. Well, there were locusts right on the bo- from, from the border across, the land was filled with locusts. But from the border leading to Frisco, there were no locusts. Uh, it was amazing how God made a distinction, and he showed his great power. And, and Pharaoh refused to let him go, but you know the story. And finally, he relented after the firstborn of each family was taken, if they didn't have the blood on the, on the doorpost. And finally, they let him go. Now, as they're going, they plunder the Egyptians. They get all their gold, they get all their silver, they get all the jewels, because they just said, hey, take this stuff and get out of here. So these people have been slaves for 430 years and had nothing, walked out of there uh, filthy rich beyond their wildest dreams.
1: Just amazing.
0: They're heading for the Reed Sea, or what we know as the Red Sea. And as they're heading for the Red Sea, Pharaoh says to himself, what the heck am I doing? And he decides to go after these people. And when the children of Israel, and there are two million of them, Just as they're approaching that Red Sea and somebody calls out and they turn and here comes Pharaoh's army, well, something, once again, supernatural happened because God was leading them. Uh, For the next 40 years, Israel was going to be led by God and they were going to be led by a cloud by day. Do you remember that? Now, what's the deal about a cloud, a cloud by day? Well, they're going to be in desert area. Out in that particular desert, it can get to 135 degrees. Uh, Not a lot of shade trees in in a desert. So what God did in his goodness, he led them by a cloud by day, which would provide shelter and protection from the heat and from the intense sun. But at night, if you've ever been in a desert, it can be incredibly hot in a desert, and then when the sun goes down, it can get incredibly cold, all in the same 24-hour period. So that cloud by day, which would protect them from the sun at night, would shift and become a pillar of fire to warm them in the cold desert nights. God was taking care of his people. Uh, there's no way to escape. Pharaoh's army's coming, and, and all of a sudden they panic because where are they going to go? There's no way out. They are trapped. This often happens in the Christian life because, you see, it was God who led them to the Red Sea. Oftentimes, God will lead us into situations where there is no way out. And you say to yourself, you know, I, how did I get here? I thought God was leading me. I prayed and asked God to show me his will. I asked God, I said, Lord, don't let me miss your will, and and I'm sure he led me here, and he did. He led you in there like, like those guys bringing a 737 into a gate with those red popsicles. Come on, come on. And you get there, and as soon as you get there, everything falls apart. God often does that. Why is that? That's because God works strangely, doesn't he? His ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. I thought you were leading me. I was leading you. Well, it didn't work out. I planned it that way. And there's no escape. You know, what? these people were right. There was absolutely no escape. And that's what God does with us. Sometimes he'll put us in situations, there's absolutely no way out. And then you know what he does? He makes a way out. And he shows us his greatness and he shows us his glory and he shows us his power so we can tell our children and they can tell their kids and they can tell their kids. These people had seen a lot. They'd seen an incredible amount of stuff. And God opened the Red Sea and not only did they cross the Red Sea, ah, but that cloud by day, you know what happened to that cloud by day? That cloud by day, as they're starting to go through the Red Sea, God shifted that cloud so that it came down between the people of Israel and Pharaoh's army. Um, I grew up in uh, the crown jewel city of California, which you know it's Bakersfield, California. <laughs> if, if you know California, you know that's kind of a joke. It's sort of the armpit of California, but, but we liked it. And I can remember as a kid, uh, in the winter, they'd usually close school for at least a few days, some days, uh, sometimes up to 10 days. They didn't close school because of snow. We didn't get snow. They didn't close school because of ice. They closed school because of fog. In the San Joaquin Valley, you get what they call tule fog in between those two mountain ranges. And that fog gets so thick, uh, you can't see the white stripe on the road. Sometimes the fog gets so thick, and this is no exaggeration, you can't see the ornament on the front of your hood. It just comes in and settles. Therefore, they close school because they can't run school buses. and They don't anyway. And it might be there two days. It might be three. Every once in a while, you'll see on the news, you know, uh, 148 car pileup on Highway 99 or on I-5 in the San Joaquin Valley. Because suddenly they're driving and they hit the fog and nobody can see a thing. That's what God did with the cloud. They're going to cross the Red Sea. Well, you know, there's two million people. By the time they get they won't get 300 yards across that sucker and the army's going to get them. So the cloud comes, and like a pea-soup fog descends on Pharaoh's army, and they can't see a thing. And while they are confused and can't see a thing, then the two million people of Israel cross. And by the way, they crossed on dry land. Now, this was a sea. God rolled it back. And not only did he roll it back, but uh, there was no mud. They got on the other side. They didn't need to wipe off their sandals because it was absolutely dry. Now, the reason I'm bringing all this up is, you fast forward just a few weeks later, you know, Moses is up on the mountain getting the law from God, and as he's doing that, these people are down with Aaron, and they want a God that they can follow and a God that they can worship. Now, these people are out of their cotton-picking minds. Does that make any sense to you at all? After what they'd been through and after what they'd experienced? Now let's pick it up, because here's what's happened. If you remember the story of the golden calf, in Exodus 32, we'll pick it up, verse 19. It came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. This was lewd dancing, a sexual dancing. It, it, was, it was out of control. Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. You know, I kind of like that. Not that he did it, but that, you know, the Bible doesn't hide anything. Here's this guy who had just been with God, in the presence of God. And he comes down and sees what's going on, and he loses his temper. And he throws the tablets down that God gave him and busts them up. That kind of makes me feel better, because sometimes I lose it. I remember we'd been married a couple years, and I got a little upset and put my fist through a closet door, and Mary had never seen that before, (laughs) Um, but I did, just kind of lost it. Um, I don't normally do that, but I did. This guy, in just a fit of rage, he just loses. His name. he's just hacked off. Um, but it was a holy anger. Now, I want you to see what happens. This is a, I really like this guy. He took the calf, which they had made, he burned it with fire, he ground it to powder, scattered it over the surface of the water, and he made the sons of Israel drink it. I like this guy. This guy did not take a Dale Carnegie course. (laughs) Then Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself, that they are prone to evil. There's an old hymn that has the line in it, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. Uh, Aaron says, for the people said to me, make a God for us who will go before us. Now there's the insanity. They had a God that was going before them and leading them remarkably, supernaturally. This is really beyond comprehension. But... We still see it today. People know that God is there. They know that he exists. And they deny. They deny. They deny. I remember when uh, uh, my son John was, for the, his, um, he was a PE major, and he had to take anatomy and physiology. And then when he was getting ready to go to paramedic school, he went back and took some refresher courses. And he would come back and tell me what they studied in anatomy and physiology and the engineering of the human body. Just the eye. Just the fact that you move your hand the way you move your hand. The way your elbow works. And, and they would look at it in depth. And, and John would just marvel, he come home and tell me all this stuff. I mean, you talk about a feat of engineering. I mean, you, you, you look at that, you study the eye and how it works. You study the heart, the circulation system, the art. You study all that. You've got to give glory to God, but they don't, do they? It's insanity as this was insanity. Uh, Here's his excuse. This guy is great. For they said to me, make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. Well, No, you did know. He went up on Sinai to see the Lord. You knew full well where he was. And then 24, Aaron says, I said to them, uh, whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out, out came this calf. (laughs) Yeah. So like Adam and Eve. She sinned, then because he was a wuss, he let her influence him. He sins. They realize they're naked, they cover themselves, they hide. When God addresses them, you know, He's talking to them, and, and Adam says, "Well, well, this woman whom you gave to me I mean, I didn't create her. I mean, I just woke up one day and there she was. I mean, you're the one that made her. is not it amazing how we're our, our capacity? Now, 25 is significant, and is our transition in the James. Now, when Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies. I just want to stop right there. What happened here? Well, the people were out of control. Why were the people out of control? The people were out of control because Aaron, who was given the responsibility of leadership, While Moses was away, listen, the people were out of control because Aaron was out of control. It's not a good thing for people to be out of control. Have you ever been in a riot, a literal riot? I've been in two. When I was in college in the 60s in California, I was in two different riots. And you remember all this stuff going on in the universities when they had to bring tax squads on to campus. I, I remember a demonstration that occurred, and, um, and these different radicals came over. And they weren't college students. These guys were older, and they were these guys were in their late 20s, early 30s. But they held a rally, and they stirred everybody up. And all of a sudden, it was really interesting because things got out of control. And some professors were walking by to their class, and some guys grabbed them and started just punching the tar out of them. And uh, then they started running in the classrooms. And they ran in the classrooms and would just kick the door in, and they'd see a professor and just start beating the professor. It was absolutely, I I mean, it just spread like a forest fire. And I still remember standing on that campus, and I'm going to tell you something. I uh, I was 19 years old, and that was the second time in my life i'd ever felt demonic oppression the first time was when i was on a missions trip in jamaica and there was some stuff going on down there and there was a you could you could feel it and as they swept across this college campus it was the same demonic oppression that I felt when I was in that mountain village in Jamaica. God is a God of order, and God is a God of lawlessness. You know, the Antichrist, when he comes, he's called the man of lawlessness. And you see, it's interesting because whenever law is done away with, well, that's not of God. That's God puts law in our lives so that there can be order and so that there can be uh, civility. And when you lose law, it's, it's a terrifying thing. This was a lawless situation. They were out of control. Now, again, I want to hit this. Why were they out of control? Because Aaron was out of control. When I hit that closet door, I was out of control. Now, here's the thing. God does not want his men to be out of control. God is never out of control. He has given us different responsibilities. He has given us different leadership positions. All of us in here are leaders. We're different kinds of leaders, and we have different areas in which he has given us responsibility for. But I'm going to tell you something. You're influencing somebody. I don't care who you are. Somebody's watching you, and somebody's watching your life, and they're watching how you live your life, and you're a leader. And leaders need to be in control. Aaron got out of control, and when he got out of control, really bad things happened. Now, with that in mind, let's go to James. Because in James, we're going to see the process that God takes us through as we walk down this trail of life. And what he wants to do is... He wants to develop in our lives a maturity and he wants to develop a responsibility and uh, he wants to take us from being um, unwise to wise. In, In other words, he wants us to have control of ourselves so that we can be the men of influence that he wants us to be among those that we are called to lead. Now, We're going to get a chunk of James tonight. We'll start with verse 18 of chapter 1. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. Uh, There's this idea that everybody's, and you've heard it a hundred times, everybody's in the family of God. Everybody is not in the family of God. Believers in Christ are in the family of God. We are the first fruit. We are the remnant. We, we, are, we are chosen. Uh, the book of Romans says we've been adopted into his family. Not everyone is in his family. Everyone is created by God, but not everyone is in the family of God. So he is saying, but those of us who are believers, we're in the family. We've been, we've been called to, um, to a new life. We've been called to a different standard. Uh, you look around at our culture, and what is our culture constantly doing? Our culture constantly lowers the standard. You know what God wants to do in our lives? He wants to raise the standard. All the time. Isn't that what you want to do with your kids when you're raising kids? Do you want to lower the standard with your kids? No. You want to raise the standard. You want to see them develop. You want to see them mature. You want to see them grow. So that's what he's saying in verse 18. Then he jumps into 19. He says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Putting your fist through a closet doesn't cut it. That's not the way you live your life. When you're an immature man, that's what you do. But not when you're moving towards maturity. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distresses, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. It's a lot of stuff. But it's all illustrating the basic same principle and the same premise. Uh, Winston Churchill. Uh, whenever he had dinner, he never had dinner alone. There was always a group of guests at Chartwell. And um, you can visit Chartwell and you can still walk through the rooms today and you see the dining room. And uh, they had several big round tables. Because it was not uncommon for Churchill Chir- to have... Uh, Oh, 10, 15, 20 guests. And when they couldn't get them all around one round table, they'd put them around a, a second round table. But usually they'd all be sitting around this very large round table. And uh, dinner would be two to three hours. Conversation, stories, all of this. One of the frequent guests, very frequent, at uh, Churchill's uh, dinners uh, was a man who was a, a very good friend of his. A man named... Uh, F.A. Lindemann, he was a brilliant physicist, had been a research professor, a very eccentric man. Uh, One of the great stories about uh, Lindemann was back in World War I in 1916. There was a terrible, terrible problem that developed with the the airplanes that the RF was flying because as these young pilots were in dog flights, uh, these planes would, would go into these tailspins. And they couldn't pull them out. They couldn't get control. And and what was happening is that they were were losing hundreds of these guys a month because they couldn't control their planes as they hit tailspin. Well, Lindemann realized this was a huge issue, and he knew there had to be a solution. And he put his mind to work, and he came up with what he believed to be the solution to getting control of an airplane that was in a tailspin. And uh, he went and talked to the RF, and they laughed at him, and they thought he was crazy. And uh, so Lindemann, here's what he did. He enrolled in flight school. And he went all the way through flight school. And he became certified to be a pilot. And then he got into a plane without a parachute, took it up, put it into a spin on purpose, was flying hundreds of miles an hour. Now those planes didn't go that fast but he went up as high as he could and then drove it down, and it was going hundreds of miles an hour. And they were all watching him and thinking, this guy's out of his mind, this guy's going to die. But he so believed in the laws of physics and the mathematical formula that he had put together, he was willing to put his life on the line. And to their amazement, as they watched him, seconds from dying, they watched that plane heading toward the ground, they watched it just pull up. And suddenly he had their attention, and suddenly they were very open to his theory. And the problem of hundreds of RF pilots dying every month was not a problem anymore. He showed them how to get control out of a situation that was out of control. Before we come to Christ, we're out of control. We live for ourselves. Now, there are controls, and there are things we have in place in our lives, but generally speaking, we live to ourselves. When when Christ comes into our lives, he gives us a new nature, he gives us a new heart. And now we're on the process of moving to maturity, of growing up, of becoming mature men in Christ. We can never forget this. We can never forget this. This is the process that we are in. God is not interested in just having us remain where we are. He wants to move us to the next level. He he wants to move us to maturity. He wants to see us grow. He wants to see us develop. And his hand is upon us and upon the situations of our lives, and that's what the early part of James is about, the trials that he brings into our lives, because it's through hardship and difficulty and adversity that he develops us into the kind of men that he wants to be. But what he wants to see is, he wants to see greater and greater control of our lives, he doesn't want to see things out of control. He wants to see, this move, see us moving from immaturity to maturity. And, and, you know, it's interesting. Jesus had 12 men that were with him, and he called them. We, we know them as the apostles, but they are also known as the disciples. And the word disciple comes from the same root as the word discipline. You, you see, you're talking about being in control, being controlled by God. Now, I want you to note I, I, that's the fundamental principle, And I want you to see what it is that he wants to move us towards. And I want you to see how practical God is. You know, so many, so much of religion is just, or even Christianity is just, is just nonsense. It's this uh, people say stuff, and I don't get what they're talking about. If are you ever with some Christian or somebody and they say something and it just doesn't make sense, it doesn't quite add up, it just kind of seems weird. You know what I'm talking about? You know why it seems weird? Because it's weird. (laughs) They had this lofty, they're saying all this stuff and all this and that. Give me a break. God isn't weird. Jesus isn't weird. The scriptures aren't weird. They're as practical as practical can be. Look at verse 19. Note this process. He says, but everyone must be quick to hear. Now, I find that interesting. He says, we must be quick to hear. I'm not quick to hear. Are you? I am quick to speak. That's my tendency, and that's your tendency. But see, as we mature, he wants us to become quick to hear not quick to speak i was a speech communication major in college and uh, so i took all kinds of courses on persuasive speaking and rhetoric and on the debate team and all this you take all this stuff years later i realized i was thinking one day about what all those courses i took i'm a communications major i never had one course on listening you know why they didn't offer courses on listening Everything in the communications program was about talking. Everything was about speaking. What does God say here? This is very interesting to me. He says, but everyone must be quick to hear. See, this, this is so practical. A lot of times things develop in marriages because we're not quick to hear. We're quick to speak. And then he goes on. He says, uh, quick to hear. And then he says, slow to speak. Well, well see, now we're, we're, talking about some, we're talking about some change here. We're talking about transition. We're talking about getting control. Because you see, when, when I'm out of control, when I'm out of control, I'm the opposite of this. When I'm out of control, what I am is quick to speak and slow to listen. But see, what he's saying is, as we mature, and what we ought to be shooting for is to be quick to hear and slow to speak. See, we're, we're, we're going across the grain here. We're going against the grain. We're going upstream. And then he, he's got one more, and, and slow to anger. Well, you know, when I put my fist through the door, it's because I was quick to anger. And a lot of us in here, we're quick to anger. Have you ever just come home from work and, you know, you're just you're kind of beat and you're tired and you're in fighting traffic and you walk in the door and your wife comes up to you and she's very excited and she's very obviously concerned and she's very uh, passionate about an issue. And I mean, you don't even have a chance to walk in the door and breathe and she comes up to you and you're not going to believe what's happened, And she starts telling you, and she's very animated, and there's all this stuff, and you're listening to this. And as you listen, it doesn't take too long for you to figure out, I don't understand what the big deal is. (laughs) Uh, What's the crisis here? Is this ringing a bell with anybody? (laughs) Now, I personally have never had this experience, but I've had other guys tell me about it. I mean, you just walk in, and, it's just, and all of a sudden, it's like you're ambushed. I mean, you just walk in, and boom, and there's this issue, there's this crisis, there's tears. You're not going to believe what happened. And then, it's, you know, you think, what happened? You roll the car, one of the kids, you know, and then you start hearing what it is, and you think. <laughs> "Hey, you said that, and it's on tape. <laughs> what what do you what do? You, now, you know what tends to happen? What tends to happen is very quickly we discern and ascertain what's going on and what we think is, in that situation, what we, uh, my nature is to think, you know what? This is all out of perspective. And what happens is, is that what I start to do is, is that I immediately start to give my analysis. I am immediately quick to speak. But see, I'm just trying to apply this to everyday life. What this is saying to me is that as God matures me and gets control over me, I should be quick to hear, to listen. I'm thinking of some scriptures, 1 Timothy 3.7. You husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, you know, these are intelligent women. They're not dumb. They're not... But obviously, something has happened. And a lot of times, what the issue is they're telling us about is really not the issue. But there's something else, and things have built up, and it's been a series of things. And see, that's where a mature man, and and you know, guys, we're not going to get this right every time, are we? But we ought to be moving towards some growth and some development so that we can look back over the last year and if we were to ask our wives or ask someone close to us, they say, well, you know, you're doing better. You're doing better. Some growth, some growth. Now, um, (sighs) Churchill comes to mind again. So oftentimes, we're quick to speak. You probably know that uh, one of his political enemies was Lady Astor. And they did not get along. They didn't get along at all. And they were often together in social situations. And one night, they were at a very elegant dinner. And they were seated across from one another. And in the midst of the conversation, with great sophistication, Lady Astor looked at Mr. Churchill. And she said, Mr. Churchill, if you were my husband, I believe I would poison your tea. And without missing a beat, Churchill nodded and said, My dear lady, if you were my wife, I would drink it. (laughs) I see guys writing in the Bible. They're in the the margins. You you know, Churchill was fond of the grape in its fermented form. And uh, one evening, he was making his way from his office to his car, and who should happen by but Lady Astor and he was obviously a little bit stumbling. And With great indignation she said, Mr. Prime Minister you are drunk and he turned and looked and got her in focus, figured out who it was he said, yes I am however tomorrow I'll be sober you will be ugly forever <laughs> those are direct quotes by the way Now, we all have that ability, don't we? And does that really help anything? The answer is no. Uh, The easy thing is just to let her rip. But again, what's God trying to do? And you know what happens? Sometimes marriages get out of control. Sometimes families get out of control. Sometimes... It's because a man is out of control. Now, wives can get out of control, too. Right? Because we're all human. There's not a whole lot I can do about anybody else, but there's a whole lot I can do about me. Now, catch this. Catch this. Quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. That takes control. A control I don't have by myself. Now, I'm going to get back to this in just a second. I want you, see, he says, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Uh, let's go to 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness. How do you put aside all filthiness? It takes control, doesn't it? See, when a guy is out of control, a guy's involved in all kinds of filthiness. Uh, how, do guys, uh, how do guys get uh, into pornography and then get into this and then get into that and then get, it's worse and worse and worse because you're out of control? You're just spinning out of control like a guy in a fighter plane going down and he can't, he can't pull it out of the spin. See, there's God. what he's talking about is we need to become controlled men. But by ourselves, just by ourselves, we are not going to become controlled men. But he's calling us to be controlled and to be mature. So stay with me for a minute and we'll get to that section. I just want you to see what he's teaching here. Uh, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Because you see, here we are in our lives and we've come to know Christ. And maybe you've been walking with Christ for six months, or maybe you've walking with him for you know for 16 years. I don't know. But stuff still remains. And what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be putting that aside. We're supposed to be getting rid of it. We don't wallow in it. We don't protect it. We don't rationalize it. We don't excuse it. We're supposed to be moving out of that. We're supposed to be growing. We're supposed to be moving towards holiness and away from that stuff. So we don't rationalize it. We don't excuse it. We've got to get ruthless with sin and ruthless with temptation. we just got to do it. And it's so subtle. It is so cotton-picking subtle, isn't it? I did a conference this week. Somewhere, and we had a wonderful time. I just don't remember where I was. It was it was outstanding, but I uh, and you know we it, you know there's books and CDs back there and and uh, and and so when I uh, got back. Uh, my bookkeeper, who handles the ministry stuff, and, you know, Lou covers all the conferences and the books, and we got a gal, there's the accounting for the books and all that. And I realized um, that for the guys that bought the, the CD series that we had um, at the conference, we always, there's always a discount on it. And uh, I said there was a discount, and then she gave me these figures, and I thought, that doesn't sound right, and I realized, and you know what, they didn't get the discount. And I thought, huh. And you know, and uh, and I'll be honest with you, we didn't do real well on on that material. And I thought, well, they didn't get, well, okay. And then I kind of grabbed myself, said, wait a minute, you told them that was going to be discounted, and they didn't get the discounted price. And I said, oh, it doesn't matter. So let's move on. (laughs) It kind of does matter, doesn't it? And fortunately, the guys that pay with credit card, and most of them do, put their phone numbers down. So Bev spent Monday calling all those guys. Why? Because if we didn't do that, we'd be out of control. And God doesn't want that. In my life, in your life, well, you know, it's just an extra gift to ministry. You're an idiot. <laughs> it's not a gift to ministry. It's called stealing. It's called theft. That's what it's called. You notice God's always testing us. He's always testing us. Isn't that amazing? He wants to see where our hearts are. He wants to see if we're in control or out of control. Uh, That's what verse uh, 22 is all about. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. If I had not told her to make that call and call those guys and tell them we were refunding that price, you know what I would have been? I would have been a hearer of the word who deluded myself. Well, it's small. It's small. It's small, but it's important. Just because it's small doesn't mean it's it's, it's significant. And we said this a hundred times. You ever wonder how leaders get involved in these sordid affairs underneath the, you know, the sexual stuff? So how does a guy, how does a guy with a mega church and this big, how, how do you how do you how do you get into this whole gay prostitute thing in hotel rooms? You know how that starts? It starts with little things. Excusing them, rationalizing them. I read something this week about him. And there's actually a video that's out where he was caught on tape. Some news organization was in interviewing him and his church and all this. And he was talking about the freedom they have. And, and, and you know, anyway. And uh, about how, you know, Christ sets us free and then, you know, Christians ought to have the greatest sexual relationships and all this kind of stuff. And he's got a camera, and the guy's interviewing him, and a, couple, and a guy walks by in his congregation. The guy just walks by, and he grabs this guy, and he says on camera, this pastor says to this guy, how many orgasms does your wife have in a week? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. What? What? And what the article is about is, this guy had all kinds of situations like that where he'd make sexual innuendos. But because he was the big shot and the big cheese, nobody called him on it. How many organ? Well, let me deck you and I'll tell you. That would be out of control. <laughs> but it, it would still be an option, I would think, uh, unless the Spirit of God was really moving in my life. How many What? What kind of perverted perverted mind do you have and what's going on in your life in private that you would say something like that and have no shame or be embarrassed and be caught on camera and be proud of it? Whew. This guy had a history of stuff like that. Well, let me tell you something. Guys that talk like that have got stuff going on in their private lives. I've seen that a hundred times. We're to be doers of the word, not hearers. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. Once he's looked at himself gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. We're to be growing. All right, now, guys, look, i got to jump on this because the clock's moving. Here's what I want to ask. Here's what I need to know. See, we're, we're to be in control. Moses was out, uh, uh, what's his name? Aaron was out of control. The people were out of control. There's a place when Christ comes into our lives and we're growing with Christ, and we're walking with Christ. You you see, the way that I'm in control is when he is controlling me. There's a term for this, and this term is misused and misunderstood. The term is the filling of the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Now, different denominations have all kinds of stuff they teach on the filling of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, some churches talk about to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You speak in tongues and you, you know, you run around the building and you bark like a dog and you laugh uncontrollably, hysterically, and that's the moving of the Spirit. Um, It's just amazing, the stuff, the nonsense, the nonsense that's out there. Let's see what the Word of God says about the filling of the Spirit. So what's the filling of the Spirit have to do with this? Well, if you look at Ephesians 5, in Ephesians chapter 5, was there a legitimate gift of Tongues? The legitimate gift of tongues was in Acts chapter 2. And what happened on the day of Pentecost, you got Jews from all over the world, and they heard these guys who were in the upper room, they were speaking in tongues. They were speaking in known languages because they heard them praising God in their own language, in their own dialectos. What that means is, you just didn't, if you were, let's just take English. And let's say you had a guy in Jerusalem from, up, from New York City, from Brooklyn, and you had a guy from South Alabama. Well, they both speak English, sort of. <laughs> but they would hear these guys speaking in tongues, and one of these guys would be speaking English with a Brooklyn accent. And the other guy would be speaking with a Montgomery, Alabama accent. That's how specific it was. That's how supernatural it was. It was in their own dialectos. Isn't that amazing? This had to be God. Tongues, is, tongues was a known language. That's why tongues was to be interpreted. That's why 1 Corinthians 14.22 says tongues then are for a sign, not to believers. Most people think tongues are for believers. But the Bible says tongues are a sign not to believers, but to unbelievers. So there'd be unbelieving Jews in the assembly from another, and some guy would get up and speak in their dialectos. Now, it had to be interpreted. Why? Because not everybody knew that dialectos. That's how it was used back in the New Testament. What's the filling of the Spirit today? In Ephesians 5.18, here's what Paul says. And I'm going to kind of roll into it. i got to get a rolling start on it. Uh, From verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. A wise man is controlled. An unwise man isn't. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. It used to be an old hymn, Rise Up, O Men of God. we ought to call that Wise Up, O Men of God. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The word filled means control. That's what it means. Don't be drunk with wine. Why? Because when you're drunk with wine, you're controlled by the wine. Uh, guys in here before have been drunk. Tell me the good things that have accrued into your life by being drunk. Oh, you vomit all over yourself. You make a fool of yourself at your daughter's wedding. Oh, that was precious. <laughs> Brings tears to her eyes even to this day. You know? Oh, you're passed out in a, in a car somewhere. Or, you know, you ran through a, a fence. See, to be be controlled by wine is a waste of your life. So don't be controlled by wine, but be be controlled, because that word fill means to control, be controlled by the Spirit of God. Okay, all right, good. All right, so I want to be controlled by the Spirit of God. Now here's the question. How do I know when I'm controlled by the Spirit of God? Well, the guys on Christian television say, well, you'll have this and this experience and this and this and this. What does the Bible say? Be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled with the Spirit. Watch this. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He's talking to believers. He's talking about encouraging one another with the Word of God. You know that's a sign of being filled with the Spirit, of being controlled by the Spirit, is when you're sharing a psalm. Or, you know, their songbook was the book of Psalms. When you're, or, or when you're by yourself in the car. Yeah, I love this song. I love this, this chorus, how great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. Those are the only words I know of that song. There are other words, I don't know what they are. But sometimes I'm just driving down the road in the truck and I'll go, I'll start singing. How great is our God? Sing with me, how great (laughs) is our God. And you know what's great about technology today? See, if you did that 20 years ago, people would see you talking like that in the car and there's no one there and they think you're weird. But now you, they think you're on a, 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 a speakerphone. <laughs> so you can just do it. That's a, you ever, that's a sign of being controlled by the Spirit. And then he goes on to say this. Uh, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God even the Father. You ever get up in the morning and you just kind of you're just thankful? You got a few minutes? Maybe your wife's not up. You get some coffee. You're just sitting down at the table and you're just thinking how good God has been to you. You ever do that? You know what? You know what? You know what that is? That's the filling of the Spirit. Now He's going to start meddling. He's going to take it into the family. <laughs> I grew up in a Pentecostal church. And, man, people get filled with the Spirit of church. I saw all kinds of things. Half of them scared me to death. Because you had some people just flat out out of control. But uh, you know what's interesting to me, the filling of the Spirit here? He's not, he's not talking about church. He's talking about home. Oh, watch this. Watch this. He mean wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. How can a wife follow the leadership of a husband? There's only one way, by the control of the Holy Spirit. And then he says in 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, sometimes we really are in love with our wives. Sometimes we're not. Sometimes we don't even like them. Sometimes. Because wives are human, and sometimes wives go through things. And they react differently than we do. And and wives sometimes have these hormonal imbalances that happen. Like about every 28 days. And aren't you glad you don't have that? I am. And your wife goes through menopause. That means you go through menopause. And the young guys are saying, I'm not going through menopause. You're going through menopause, pal. She's going through it, and she's taking you with her. Well, that's all these hormonal changes. Sometimes when that happens, a wife... Sometimes wives, you know what they want? They, they, there's something they want us to do. And they really want us to do it. I mean, they really want us to do it. So they bring it up. And they bring it up again. And then they bring it up again, and they leave us notes. And then when we're, uh, they'll nudge us, and then they bring it up again. You know, Proverbs says, a nagging woman is like a dripping faucet. Somebody turn that sucker off. <laughs> and sometimes wives can be like that. Sometimes, yeah, 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 there are wives that are like that all the time. Uh, most wives are not like that all the time. But sometimes they get that way. Sometimes they'll ride you and they'll get on your case. They don't mean, I, I'm just being honest, this isn't being taped. Yes, it is. But is that not true sometimes? And what happens to us? You know what's, you know what's interesting, guys? When, when that happens, what hap- we can get real quick to speak. We can get be real quick to be resentful. If, if it goes on for a while, you know, we can, there's a wedge that gets between us. You know what? I don't like this. This isn't going away. This isn't changing. This isn't what I signed up for. This is hell on earth, and that's where some of you guys live. This says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We knew the suffering Jesus went through on the cross, but until Mel Gibson did his movie, I never realized what Jesus went through on the way to the cross. Now, we're to love our wives with that same kind of love. And sometimes it's the wife who's inflicting the blow. C.S. Lewis has a great section in one of his books where he talks about this section and basically he says what this means is men are supposed to get crucified for their wives. What's really hard is when your wife is crucifying you. And that's not for most guys in here, but for some guys it is. So how do you handle that? How do you deal with that? You can't, apart from the control of the Spirit of God. And then he goes on and he says, uh, uh, he goes on in, in 6.1, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. How, how do kids obey their parents? By the control of the Spirit. Now, i I, I got to move very quickly. So, all right, the filling of the Spirit. All right, well, I want to know, how does, this, I mean, how does this really work? You know what's interesting to me? If you flip over real quick, it goes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go to Colossians 3. I want to show you something real quick. 316. Here's what he says. He says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Okay, that's good. I want to let let the word of Christ richly dwell within me. All right, now how do I know when the word of Christ is richly dwelling within me? All right, I want you to note the signs. He says, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Where do we read that? Ephesians 5, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Where did we hear that? Next verse, wives, be subject to your husbands. Next verse, husbands, love your wives and don't be embittered against them. Next verse, children, be obedient to your parents. Where do we hear all that? Ephesians 5, follow me here, guys. What is the filling of the Spirit? Control. Here's the filling of the Spirit. When I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm controlled by the Spirit. And when he gives me the, uh, the, uh, the fruit, when he gives me the evidences by being filled with the Spirit, by being controlled with the Spirit, and then in Colossians, and that's Ephesians 5, 18. Colossians 3, 16, he says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And the evidences of letting the word of Christ richly dwell within me are exactly the same as being controlled by the Spirit. That tells me that being controlled by the Spirit, being filled by the Spirit, and letting the word of Christ richly dwell within me are exactly the same thing. Because the evidences are the same. They're just two sides of the same coin. So there's an issue, you know, we talked about the illustration. You come in, your wife, you know, she's got all this stuff, and you know, and you don't think it's a big deal, and you start to say something, but 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 here's what here's how it can work. I, I start to say something, but that concept, that verse, live with her in an understanding way, Steve. And you know what? The Spirit of God brings that to my mind to control me and not be quick to speak, but to live with her in an understanding way, so I, I better listen to this. I better listen. And I better love her as Christ loved the church. But see, I have to choose to obey the Spirit of God and the Word of God. That's how he controls me, and there's nothing mystical about it. It's the most practical thing on the face of the earth. I don't always get it right, and you don't either. But we're moving on it. And the more he controls me, the more he's going to control my marriage, and the more he's going to control my family. Aaron was out of control. The people were out of control. He wants us under his control. And that's how he does it. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the practicality of your word. The practicality. The Spirit of God brings to my mind the Word of God, and I choose to obey it. That is the filling of the Spirit. That is the control of the Spirit. And there is nothing in the world more spiritual than obedience to your Word. Thank you for mercy and grace and forgiveness. And thank you for your spirit that is developing this new man inside of us to move us to the next level. We, we, we've got anger issues. We've got tempers. Continue to work on us, Lord. You're not done with us. And you're working. And we're encouraged because he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. That's our hope.